This is Ozarks at Large on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Ahead this hour, the latest episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas with Randy Wilburn explores how the Northwest Arkansas Council recruits talent to the region. And we'll talk with the founder of the Unity Conference, scheduled for later this week, about the conference's mission to have meaningful conversations and discussions about diversity between employers, students, and residents. First up, Susan Burton. Burton is the founder of a new way of life project in Los Angeles. It's designed to help women make a safe and successful transition from prison to a better life. She's the author of the book Becoming Ms. Burton, which received the 2018 NAACP Image Award. She visited Northwest Arkansas this month to speak at the Fayetteville Public Library, as well as visit Magdalene Serenity House, a local nonprofit helping women re-enter after incarceration. She also visited the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. She says, we often have public discussions about incarceration, but not nearly as often about re-entering public life after prison. That's unfortunate for uh, the state's budget. It's unfortunate for the people who um, literally get punished for some of the smallest of things because there's space. And uh, when you build beds, you fill beds. Um, And, you know, to think about reentry, 97% of people who are incarcerated come home. Why aren't we investing in community resources, rehabilitation, restoration, and um, good uh, creating good citizenship of people? Uh, like myself, I had a substance use problem, and I was incarcerated and punished for that substance use problem. Um, I didn't know how to cope with the death of my son, so I tried to drown the pain with alcohol. It escalated to drug use. Instead of someone giving me um, uh, counseling services, grief services, um, helping me to learn how to cope with the tragic loss of a child, I was punished for the way I dealt with it. But that was the only thing available in my community at the time. It was the 80s. There was a war on drugs. Our communities were were saturated with illegal substances. And momentarily, when I used it, it made my pain go away. Mm-hmm. The pain came back, of course. But well, it becomes a cycle, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a cycle. Yeah. But... You know, for that moment, I found relief from the pain. So um, I should have been, and I could have been given um, restorative services. Um, I, I, I could have been given drug treatment instead of prison. Um, I could have been getting support for employment instead of worked for eight cents an hour. Um, I could have been given support to come out of the prison system, back to a community that had supports in place. So building more prison beds, I mean, that kills a state's budget. 
Well, and and if if you give not much, if any, attention to reentry, yes, you're, you're making sure recidivism, yes, is a problem, yes. Which take humanity and families out of it, that is a budget problem. That's a budget problem. Yeah, um, you know, I started a new way of life reentry project um, after over twenty years of providing services. Um, I started that for women because often women are so left out and underserved, and we overrepresent the rates of incarceration in America. So uh, I've seen uh, lives restored um, uh, for a third of the cost of what it costs to incarcerate. Lives restored. Families reunited, good students, good in, 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 uh, uh, good employees, uh, happy communities, and most of all, safe communities. As a result of my uh, of the services at a new way of life, I remember uh, one uh, news outlet called us crime stoppers because what we do. Stops people from, you know, reoffending. Um, stops them from being, you know, uh, so uh, desperate to live because we provide them with housing, uh, family reunification services, uh, uh, workforce development services, higher education support. We do all of that so people can fulfill their their life's missions and their dreams. I know that there is this image, this idea that we often see in films, that when someone who's been incarcerated is released, there might be an envelope with a little bit of cash and a gentle nudge. Yeah. And out you go. Yeah. And you could be, that's it. Yeah. You're probably incredibly vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Uh, Full of hope and full of anxiety. In the prologue to my book, Becoming Miss Burton, I write about a woman named Ingrid. Ingrid um, made a mistake. She ran into the dollar store to pick up diapers and baby formula, took her toddler with her, but left the infant, the, the newborn, in the car, windows rolled open for air while she ran in the store. I guess she couldn't very well carry both of them. Um... When Ingrid got back to the car, the police was there. They sent her to prison for three years. Kids' life thrown into permanent disarray, um, placed in foster care. She came back to the car. The child was not heard, but she was sentenced to three years for child endangerment. So Ingrid came to a new way of life. And we helped her get her children back. We helped her find employment. We helped her set up a savings account. You know, we helped, we supported her to pull her life back together. Ingrid called me two months ago and told me, Miss Burton, I bought a house. You know, in California, that's a, yeah. that's, that's a huge accomplishment in California. And I was really happy for her. 
and I remain happy for her. And I remember when she brought all three of her daughters back together. But she wouldn't have been able to do that without the support of a new way of life. If she had just exited. Exited, got off the bus. On her own. Exited on my own, get off the bus, downtown Skid Row. Uh, They give you $200 in California when you leave the prison. You buy a bus ticket, and you get off the bus literally downtown Skid Row. And you make a life after that. Everything you own fits in an envelope, a whole bunch of unnecessary papers. You have no ID. You have no Social Security card. So you do not have a state-issued ID or anything? You don't have anything but your hopes, your dreams— and um, uh, full of anxiety, totally unprepared. Uh, And, you know, I was released many, many, many times because I kept cycling in and out because there was no support for me. So I said, I'm going to help as many women as I can to make that transition be able to live with dignity and principle and purpose by just providing some months or a year or so of sir of support. Yeah. A new way of life in Los Angeles. You're going to, after this conversation, go to Magdalene Serenity House here in Fayetteville. The challenges every facility, every sort of organization like this has is there are more people than yeah. there are rooms to help them. There are more people uh, than there are services or supports. So what I've done, Kyle, is to um, actually support the replication of a new way of life's model. Um, When I wrote my book, I went all around the, the, the nation. I came here to Arkansas, too. Uh, looked at the legacy program that's that's taught in in your prison here mm-hmm. in um, in Arkansas, and I saw women saying, "I'm back for the fourth time. I'm back for the fifth time. I'm back for the eighth time." Because when I leave, I have nowhere to go. I want to do something different, but you know, nobody nobody accepts me back except the place that sent me here or the types of types of people that you don't want to get involved with. Um, so One of the few things you can buy without a government-issued ID is... Alcohol. And what has fueled your illness in the past. Substances, yeah, yeah, yeah you know. So, um, so I created a training called SAFE. Sisterhood Alliance for Freedom and Equality. And what SAFE seeks to do is train people around the nation. Actually, we're around the world now uh, to replicate our program. So we have a training every year. It's coming up August 2nd through the 4th in Los Angeles. Uh, And people can register for that training on a New Way of Life's website, uh, anewwayoflife.org, under the SAFE tab. Uh, and be trained on how to uh, operate and start a reentry uh, uh, place for, for women or men. My area is women because I feel like women are overrepresented in the criminal justice system and underserved. Women are the largest growing uh, population of the criminal justice system. To start a new way of life, 
yes, you had passion, and yes, you had empathy, and yes, you had experience. But what other hurdles did you have to overcome to get this to become reality? Oh, my God, Kyle. There was just like um, – so I started a new way of life, fresh out of treatment with uh, – I had worked a year after treatment. Uh, May I ask how old you were at this point? I was 46. Okay. I was 46. I wasn't a spring chicken. And I'm definitely not a spring <laughs> chicken now. But I keep going, yeah. right? Um, and I wanted my life to stand for something. I wanted to contribute to the world. Uh, I wanted to do something good. There had been so much darkness in my past. And um, I worked and I saved my own money. And I bought a little house in South L.A. And I would go down to the bus station where my friends were getting off the bus, and I'd let them know, girl, I have a house, and it's drug and alcohol-free. If you want to come there and start your life over again, you can come there and live. And before you know it, it was 11 of us in this little three-bedroom house, and it was women helping women. We were recovering together. We were laughing together. We were crying together. We were recovering together. Uh, and we all got better, and we all stayed free. What can those, the rest of us, because there are many of us who don't have experience with incarceration yeah. personally or through a family member, what can the rest of us do? There are so many things you can do. So you have Magdalene Serenity's house here. Um, I'm sure the women there might need some items. Um, I know we keep a big closet of of um, uh, personal items, um, women's, you know, uh, uh, lingerie, underwear, uh, clothing. Ta- yeah, clothing. I mean, clothing, uh, um, uh, hygiene items, um, uh, lotions, uh, a bus pass. I don't know about the buses here, but women there might need a bus pass to get to and from work. Uh, there are so many things that you can do. You can contribute, mm-hmm. you know. A New Way of Life has a Donate Now button. Um, I'm sure Magdalene's uh, house has a Donate Now button. But there's so many things that you can give um, to support. You know, when you want to see a change, it doesn't take big, big, big things, but we do like big, big, big things, too. (laughs) Big things will be welcome. Yeah. Yes. But if someone is giving $20 a month that we know we can count on, that's a help. $10 a month, whatever it is, or a one-time donation. Those are things that can help pave the way for change if you want to see and be a part of something different. When you were writing the book, was that difficult? Oh, writing the book. Writing the book was hard, so the book comes in two parts. There's a part one and there's a part two. In part one, after I went through all of my childhood and life's experience, I had to stop and I had to find a therapist because I woke up one morning in my living room and I felt like a little girl in a ball of sadness of why and how could a child be treated the way I had been treated coming up? 
and I had to go on ther to therapy. But after the therapy, I I I, I landed in a place where um, it's sad for the world that treats a girl like this, and I had work to do to prevent it and to help those that had been treated like that. Um, and that I wasn't a little girl. And I had the ability to put an aura of protection around me by the way I lived and the work that I do and, you know, my connection with my higher power and God protects me now and so forth. Yeah, so, yeah. Finally, when you visited with incarcerated people, and I don't know how long a visit might be. And let's say it's either in South, Southern California or it's here in Northwest Arkansas or it's in, I don't know, Wyoming or someplace. Can you come out of that visit optimistic? Yes. I have to come out of the, vis of the visit uh, optimistic and uh, understand that while we can't change everything, there is one thing I can do or two things I can do around solving the whole of the problem. And if we all take that small little piece, then we're part of solving the bigger problem. Um, it's not all on any one of us to do everything, but it is our responsibility to do something. Susan Burton is the founder of A New Way of Life in Los Angeles and the author of the book, Becoming Miss Burton. Our conversation took place last week at the Converse Center for Public Radio. Her visit was supported by the Fayetteville Public Library, the University of Arkansas Department of English, the U of A Gender Studies Program, the U of A School of Social Work, as well as other university departments. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, offering engaged learning by linking classrooms to the world and developing career skills throughout its curriculum. Hendricks graduates pursue medical, law, and other advanced degrees, preparing students to lead lives of accomplishment. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more information. When caring for a seriously ill loved one, the journey shouldn't be taken alone. Circle of Life Hospice can help. Services are covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. No one is turned away based on an inability to pay. 750-6632 or nwacircleoflife.com for information. Still to come today, the third annual Unity Conference begins tomorrow in Rogers. And I really do think that with the right amount of support, because we're not short of money here. <laughs> money is never an issue in Northwest Arkansas, uh, one of the wealthiest regions in the nation. I mean, we're competing with Silicon Valley. Right. I mean, you guys get the point. But And so I think it's just having the, having the wisdom to sitting down with other people who are in leadership who don't look like you. But I really do think it's not just about leadership. But identifying the people who are underrepresented, discussing what do you need. John Gators, the founder of the conference devoted to discussions about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, talks with us later this hour. On the first episode of the newest podcast from KUAF and the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council, The Beloved Community, University of Arkansas Chancellor Dr. Charles Robinson speaks with host Lindsay Leverett about his work at the University of Arkansas and about his commitment to the land grant mission of the University of Arkansas. 
to help create a better future for individuals and society as a whole. Thinking about how, again, in everything that we do, what those who are least among us in terms of their resources, what impact it would have on them. I think that is in line with Dr. King and his dream and, and, and the responsibility we have as campus leaders to build this beloved community. Listen and subscribe to the Beloved Community Podcast for free at KUAF.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. The University of Arkansas System Board of Trustees rejected a resolution to affiliate with the for-profit University of Phoenix yesterday. The 5-4 to four vote came during a special meeting on Monday with one trustee, Kelly Eichler, recusing herself due to a conflict of interest. Deborah Hale Shelton, who has been covering the story for the Arkansas Times, says secrecy around the deal appeared to be a deciding factor for the trustees who voted against the deal. Secrecy in making a deal can be a good thing, but when you are trying to work with the public, entertain their support, then secrecy is not a smart thing. It can work against you. And I think some of the board members presented that they were not kept well informed during these past two years. She says the university's lack of control over Phoenix was also a sticking point. Through this deal, the University of Phoenix would be acquired by a third party, the nonprofit Transformative Education Services Incorporated, or TESS, which would then develop a licensing and affiliation agreement with the University of Arkansas system. While system president Donald Bobbitt could legally move ahead with the deal, she says that's unlikely. If he chose to do that, he would be going against the will of the board, and the board is his boss, and his contract ends at the end of this year. So I don't think he's going to want to anger them unnecessarily. I think it's probably not going to happen now unless somehow he was able to uh, change the mind of you know, at least one more trustee and get more votes. Shelton says the ordeal has brought to light serious questions about how the UA system and higher education in Arkansas will weather looming financial hardships. In 2025, enrollment nationwide is expected to start declining substantially. And with declining enrollment comes less funds from the state. And so the universities have to start thinking about how to address that. And 2025 isn't that long away, so they really got to start working out a way to help deal with this cut in funding. That was Deborah Hale Shelton, reporter with the Arkansas Times. The United States Marshals Museum in Fort Smith will officially open July 1st. This morning's announcement makes a culmination of 16 years of fundraising, design, and construction. In a press release, Doug Babb, the chair of the museum's board, says it is gratifying to see the work of so many people come to fruition. This Saturday, April 29th, marks Independent Bookstore Day. It's a day to recognize the role of independently owned bookstores in their communities and thank the patrons who frequent them. And several of those stores across the Ozarks at Large listening area are celebrating the day. Rachel Stuckey Slayton is the co-owner of Two Friends Books in Bentonville, and she says festivities will be going from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. in their store. 
Well, first of all, I want to say it's going to be great vibes. So it's going to feel like a party, a sense of occasion, but we're starting out the day like we do every Saturday morning. It's a favorite weekly ritual of mine personally and my family. We do story time. It's just a really sweet time for little kids to come in and feel like they have a sense of ownership in this space that can feel kind of adult. Throughout the day, there will be raffles, scavenger hunts, and exclusive independent bookstore day merch. And at 7 p.m., Rachel will be moderating a discussion with Chloe Cooper-Jones, author of the memoir, Easy Beauty. And it's just this really stunning exploration of seeing people being seen in a a body that's disabled and um, like showing up in your life in an active way. And uh, she explores you know, like beauty standards, obviously, that I think that the name kind of implies that, but it it goes so much deeper than that. And I'm so excited to have her here in Bentonville. You can find more information about all of the festivities happening at Two Friends Books for Independent Bookstore Day at twofriendsbooks.com. Saturday, the University of Arkansas will celebrate the 2023 Lavender Graduation Ceremony for graduating LGBTQ plus students. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich has more. This fourth annual University of Arkansas Lavender Graduation Ceremony will feature a keynote address and brunch with around 100 attendees expected, including graduates, family, and friends. The ceremony is sponsored by the University of Arkansas Lavender Society, the University of Arkansas Pride Alumni Association, with faculty support from Ryan Calabretto-Sager, an associate professor of Italian and associate director of gender studies at the U of A. The Lavender Graduation Ceremony is a moment when which um, queer-identifying students can get together and celebrate their achievements. And the idea is to create a safe space to celebrate with people who have had shared experiences. In fact, we don't take a lot of pictures. We always ask students if it's okay to take pictures. We don't publicize a lot of things publicly because um, also some students are not even out to their family. So we want to protect their privacy. Students are, are encouraged to invite whoever they identify as family or whoever they would like to have um, be there to support them. The Lavender Society, an RSO or resident student organization on campus, stages the Lavender graduation ceremony. Long before rainbow flags were flown, lavender was displayed as a symbol of pride and resistance by 1960s queer rights activists. According to the Human Rights Campaign, the first lavender graduation ceremony took place on the University of Michigan campus in 1995. Today, over 200 are celebrated nationwide. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The 12th-ranked Razorback softball team shut out Western Kentucky in Bowling Green last night, 7-0. Arkansas is now 35-13 this year and will next host number 4 Tennessee for a three-game series at Bogle Park beginning Saturday evening. And after a day off, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals open a six-game series at San Antonio tonight. The Nats enter the game with a record of six wins and seven losses. The next game at our best ballpark for the Naturals is a week from today when they host Wichita for an early 11:05 first pitch.
This is Ozarks at Large. The third annual Unity Conference opens tomorrow at the Embassy Suites in Rogers. The idea behind the gathering is for businesses, big businesses like Kellogg's, Walmart, Procter & Gamble, and Netflix, to engage in discussions about diversity, equity, and inclusion with students, educators, business leaders, and area residents. The first Unity Conference launched in the shadow of the pandemic, and this year's event is at a new venue because attendees are expected to double this year. The conference was founded by John Gators while he was finishing his master's at the University of Arkansas. Yesterday, I asked him about the inspiration for the first and subsequent Unity Conferences. Seeing the need to help elevate the minority community here within Northwest Arkansas. And I'm a very, I'm a doer, very solution oriented. And so as a result of being connected to different um, executives here in the region, I said, you know what? I can use this power beyond myself. How do I um, elevate this and creating a platform for people who are my age or and or who look like me? Uh, and so that's kind of where it started. This is the third year, right? Oh my gosh, yes. This is the third conference. Okay, which so this is so this kind of came started during part of the pandemic. Correct. And in fact, uh, well, I was a daredevil. It was actually um, I was actually at in school, graduated now, but I was working on my master's program when this first started, and it was I was a daredevil because graduate school is a lot of work, and so doing that. And trying to manage the conference was a lot of work. But, you know, the higher you go or the more work you have, the greater responsibility. I think that's life in general, just figuring out how to balance. And John, so you're starting this at a time when people aren't necessarily keen on getting together. You say you're a doer, and I will offer the proof in the fact that third year of this conference, Netflix – Procter and Gamble. I mean, you've got some heavy hitters involved. Sure. I mean, ultimately, it's so far beyond me. I would say that you get what you ask for, and sometimes it was a no, but what if it's a yes? And that has always been my mantra, should I say, is you know, never being afraid to ask. And if you are, don't show it, because I'm afraid all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that very much. So the idea here is you're going to get um, executives and, and people who can make hires and help direct the future with the people I think that you would like to see getting some of those job interviews and jobs. Yes. Get them together. Yes. And that's, that is correct. In fact, um, one of our priorities is, number one, building a culture of belonging, which impacts everyone um, from different backgrounds. But a second priority is how do you see a need and fulfill it. And a lot of this is beyond my expertise, but just because I don't know doesn't mean I can't find out and ask one. And that's what I encourage other people as, as well. Just because you don't know something, that doesn't mean that someone else won't know. And so the key is identifying that person that knows. And so we're on this journey now of growing quickly, as you can imagine, and figuring out which course of direction to go. But I think as of right now, we're building a foundation here in Northwest Arkansas of opening up the doors of different communities outside of NWA coming here that can be prosperous. Because I always believe that nothing you can do about your past, but you can always change the future or impact the future, should I say. And so, you know, me trying to implement and grow the African-American percentage of being here regionally from 3% to 5 to 10 and so forth 
requires investing in earlier talent. I think that's the that's one of the strategies we're kind of looking at. How do you invest over the next five to ten years, fifteen, twenty? And it starts with giving people opportunity. If they don't know they have opportunity, how can they come here and grow? What are some other things that you hope get shared, discussed, or um, you know, are talked about during these two days? Uh, so at the conference, we're focusing on four things this year. Recruiting, connecting, co-creating, and advocating. Um, number one, we're encouraging and enabling sharing to support attendance and inclusivity. Two, we're building relationships between attendees, fostering empathy and sh- safety for sharing D&I experiences. And then uh, three and four is deepening existing and new relationships to continue the D&I conversations that impact Unity's work. And then four, celebrating the conference expansion mobilizing the Unity Collective and the continued pursuit of DEI and the implementation and work in daily life. I think it was last year you were at Jones Center? Yes, we were. Now you're at Embassy Suites. Yes, we are. That indicates to me you're probably expecting more people. Oh, goodness gracious, yes. We are. We are expecting more people, and I'm so excited. Um, I am uh, and t- I'm very anxious to seeing the outcomes and the lives that we're changing. And, and, you know, one of the things that we're working with, we're working with a lot of schools uh, from uh, University of Arkansas, of course, to Philander Smith College, mm-hmm. to Euler, to Arkansas Baptist College, and we have a few students coming from Tulane University. And this is only the third year, and so ho- the, hope, the hope is that we continue to grow that student base. Um, and, you know, you can't really gain higher than most Netflix or Walmart in terms of companies. Right. But it's more so about how can you get higher in creating opportunities? What does that look like? Um, and so that's kind of where we are. And I'm so excited. And all I can do is, you know, I would not be here without my team, of people, of advisors, of supporters, of believers. And like I always say, this is not about using people's names. This is not about... Um, um, ego or pride. This is about how do you use your influence to creating impact um, and leaving an impact on someone's heart. You mentioned when you were talking about the four topics, there was a word in their safety. DEI conversations are not always easy for everybody. Sure. And and is that part of that idea? Let's let's normalize talking about our differences and how they can how we can work together and how our differences can actually sure. be positives. And I think, you know, when it comes to this subject, it's very sensitive. Um, I think, number one, you have to acknowledge the experience and pain that people have been through, given the history. Most people aren't aware of history. They know key points, but they don't know history. Um, it's almost like a math equation, like 2 plus 2 equals 4. We're in there four, but how do we get there, right? You have to go back. And most people, not most, a lot of people aren't educated on the history of where we are today, which is it's kind of hard for them to grasp the formula. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how I've kind of breaking it down in layman's terms. But with that being said, um, these conversations are hard, but just like anything else, life is hard. It's nothing easy. So I think number one is acknowledging. But after we acknowledge, what is the strategy? So one of my goals for being here in NWA and executing the conferences getting the reaching together to coming up with a strategy. How do you get more black and brown talent here? 
but not just get them here. How do you keep them here? In order to keep someone here, they have to feel like they're at home. If I don't feel like I'm at home, why would I stay? I'm going to go somewhere I'm comfortable. So I think as a region, and this is not necessarily one person's fault. I think it's a collective, a collective project, as my mother would say, um, uh, that we all need to investigate. And I really do think that with the right amount of support, because we're not short of money here. <laughs> money is never an issue in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, one of the wealthiest regions in the nation. I mean, we're competing with Silicon Valley. Right. I mean, you, you guys get the point. But And so I think it's just having the having the wisdom to sitting down with other people who are in leadership, who don't look like you. But I really do think it's not just about leadership, but identifying the people who are underrepresented, discussing what do you need? How can we help you instead of making decisions for them? I think making collective, like, how can we, if we truly want to be diverse, how, what, what are your needs? And then, I know this sounds crazy, but going to people who left to say, why did you leave? Um, what are ways that we can pr- improve? Uh, feedback can be some of the greatest gifts given. So I think that that is something that, you know, people don't want to hear, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's not a a truth where it's divisive. It's just, I mean, bas- what was, basic. What was the deal? What, yeah. What did or didn't work? Yeah. And using that data into being implemented to your strategy. To me, this is very, uh, it could be done. It could be done with the proper support. So that's one of the goals that I want to use for sure of the conference. Very familiar big names that we've talked about connected with this conference. Kellogg's, Walmart, Netflix, Procter & Gamble. But I think for this to really work, it's also got to be smaller companies. Yeah, of which we have for sure. Oh, yeah. We have small family businesses that are sponsoring. Absolutely, because that culture of belonging is beyond corporate America. Right. I think – as of now, corporate America gives the most opportunity. It has the most resources. And the biggest numbers, of yeah. course, yes. So I think that's because, you know, personally, I, um, growing up, my dream wasn't to work for corporate America. So I know if I, my dream is not that. I know there's a lot of other people who are probably the same way. However, there are people who, who would love to work for corporate America to each his own. Sure. So I think that that is something that, um, yeah, we're looking at right now. When you came to, to Fayetteville to, to get your MBA, um, where did you come from? Little Rock. Little Rock, okay. Or specifically Conway. But oh, Central Arkansas. Yeah, Central Arkansas, correct. Um, when or if, let me ask this, you, you know, you mentioned recruiting talent, brown and black talent, but not just recruiting, keeping them here, making them think it's home. Does this feel like home for you? Yes. It feels like home for me, but with a caveat. Please. Um, Due to how I was raised, I'm able to... The answer is yes. I think sometimes, though, because there's not a huge black community here, sometimes that's kind of what I miss, being back home. And that's the reason I ask that is because 
for some of us who have grown up in a majority population that is like us, we don't always understand what is it. Not that there's one thing or one magic bullet, but what are some of the things that can make a place feel like home? Uh, concerts, uh, having black and brown artists come, um, having quality of life for black and brown Americans. Like what, again, back to that thing, what are you all interested in? How can we invest in what can not only attract but keep you all here? I think that makes a big difference. Cuisine? Yeah. Theater? Uh, food, yes. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. And I think having students come here and be a part of the co-creation of how do we get students here to co-create their existence here, giving them the power to be involved in all those different elements that make someone feel like they're at home. I think sometimes people mean well, but it's like me giving you vitamin D in your body's it has a deficiency, but you don't need vitamin D. What you need is vitamin A. You think you're doing me well, but in actuality, you're not. I love that answer. If that makes sense. It does. Okay. It's the Unity Conference, so this is everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Let's not be strangers, and let's stay up to date. Thank you so much. John Gators is the founder of the Unity Conference. The third edition of the conference begins tomorrow at the Embassy Suites in Rogers and lasts through Thursday afternoon. John is also the founder of the nonprofit Trendsetters Foundation, and spoke with Kyle yesterday at KUAF. You can find out more about the conference at unitymanagement.co. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. Approved by President Chester A. Arthur, an Army-Navy hospital was opened at Hot Springs in 1887 to give U.S. military patients access to the healing waters. In the 1930s, an imposing brick building was erected that still stands above Bathhouse Row. The facility was the largest in the country for people with polio during World War II, and following the war, many veterans who suffered wounds or lost limbs were sent there for hydrotherapy, so many that some were housed at the nearby Majestic and Arlington hotels. In 1960, it was turned over to the state and became the Hot Springs Rehabilitation Center, the only full-scale rehab center west of the Mississippi. Its mission changed again in 2009 when the Arkansas Career Training Institute was established. It served in that role until being closed in 2019 as part of a reorganization of state government. Named one of Arkansas's most endangered historic sites by Preserve Arkansas a year later, the fate of the old Army-Navy hospital remains to be seen. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This week's episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas explores recruitment and retention of top talent in the region. Host Randy Wilburn talked with Aaron Shelton and Justin Stewart from the Northwest Arkansas Council. Aaron is the director of Finding NWA, and Justin is the talent ambassador with the Northwest Arkansas Council. In this excerpt from the episode, Randy asked Aaron Shelton about the council and its missions. The council has been around since the early 90s. It was formed by Sam Walton, Don Tyson, John Tyson, J.B. Hunt, and a few other key business leaders got together and they just said, you know, we really, you know, would like to create an environment that's conducive for business, that's good for the people that live here. And we have all of these cities that are nearby each other. Why don't we create an organization that advocates on behalf of all of those? And so since its inception, the council has really been a convener and connector. It's about connecting stakeholders and leaders, bringing them together to collaborate and to, you know, 
help this region live into its best version of itself. Um, and so early on, that was really around physical infrastructure. And so, you know, the council was integral in getting X and A in here, getting things like highways widened so people could get to and from work. Also getting utilities, getting water to our houses. And so a lot of that early work of the council was focused on those types of things. And then, you know, beginning in the early 2000s and through to this day, I like to say that the council kind of evolved its mission into like helping things related to social infrastructure. So now we talk a lot about workforce development. This is like adult upskilling, the K through 12 pipeline to industry, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, You got entrepreneurship, healthcare transformation, affordable housing. And so, you know, the council has always kind of been in this position to kind of identify these key challenges and bring people together to help figure out how we can best address those challenges. And, you know, finding Northwest Arkansas was another one of those. And it's kind of fits into that category of talent attraction and retention. Yeah. You want to add something to that, Justin? No, I mean, Aaron hit the nail on the head with that. You know, it's 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 an ever evolving spinning wheel of things that the council is doing to just try to really help grow the region, help the help the region flourish and whatnot. Yeah. So. Well, you know, and I, I want people to be clear, though, because it's not like the council's trying to be all things to all people. But the council is what I would call a connector of dots. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's the whole idea. It's like, OK. You know, we can't be everything to everybody, but we can tell you where to go for this specific issue, for that specific issue, and we can put you in touch with the right people so that you can make an informed decision about what you want to do, whether it's relocating here, whether it's relocating your business here. I mean, there are all kinds of opportunities that exist here in Northwest Arkansas, but you don't want to just come into it blind. You want some guidance. And and honestly, the council really represents that trail guide. That will take you and and show you all the difference. If I could use that term, we'll show you all the different ways that you can benefit from being in this area. So, one hundred percent, and that kind of you know specifically when you talk about finding Northwest Arkansas, it was just to do that digitally. So, like when we first start getting into this discussion around talent attraction and retention, the council you know ended up creating a website that kind of provided a bird's eye overview of the region. So is it meant to originally just to assist recruiters and employers that maybe had, you know, candidates that were thinking about relocating here and needed a resource to check out. Yeah. And so that's that's our origin story. And since then we've really evolved to to really what Justin and I are doing today, which is, you know, really linking up with people and connecting them with exactly. the opportunities that exist here. Exactly. And so kind of the way that works is we it's it's kind of a team effort. In a sense, on one hand, I like to think of it as two different buckets. So Aaron kind of focuses on putting the messages out there, but also connecting with partnering companies and partnering organizations mm-hmm. who say, hey, we have X, Y, and Z hiring needs. Do you have anybody who may be able to fill those positions that we can talk to? Yep. I, on the other hand, go out in the other bu- with the other bucket and say, okay, let me see what kind of talent leads I can scoop up. You know, right. how, do, how do I do that? Right. right. So. One of the ways that I utilize a lot is LinkedIn, you know, just sure. connecting with folks through LinkedIn. But also we have our Northwest Arkansas Talent Network yep. that folks who are interested in new opportunities in Northwest Arkansas, they're welcome to go to that website to create an account very similar to like creating a LinkedIn account or using Indeed.com, so on and so forth. But the 
neat thing is, is that they're seeing opportunities that are central to the Northwest Arkansas it's hyper region specific. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, to me, that hyper locality is important, right? And so you're able to kind of say that well, everything that you find is going to be right here in this region. Exactly. So is there a geographic marker for what the what the council covers? Or, I mean, do you go as far to the River Valley or, or not really? We don't. I mean, hit or miss every now and again. It's not in a sense that we go after someone, say, in the River Valley <laughs> yeah. or Central Arkansas, et cetera, et cetera. It's just that they may come upon our website and say, hey, you know, I, I've, I've been trying to get back to the area because yeah. I have family there or, you know what, I went to college there in my younger years and I loved it and I've always been wanting to get back and just trying to figure out how to do that, you know. And so that's where just those kind of random one-off connections happen. It's like, well, hey, you know, check out this, uh, check out our Northwest Arkansas Talent Network website. You'll see a plethora of opportunities in here. But meanwhile, let's stay connected and maybe before we know it, we can find an opportunity outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. Just on that point, I took your question the other way. The opportunities themselves, the employment opportunities are all based in Washington and Benton County, employers that are based here. But the talent, yeah, like Justin mm-hmm. said, it almost maps exactly to the makeup of Northwest Arkansas, right? About 60% of people in the region are not from here originally. Right. Yeah. 40% yeah. are from here. If you look inside our talent network, which currently has about a thousand members, you see that same dynamic. So yeah. we do have folks from the River Valley. We have people from the West Coast looking for opportunities. We have people yeah. from the East Coast. We have people from other countries in there. <laughs> yes. But, yes. you know, the common thread that ties them together is they're all signing up to get informed about opportunities with employers that are located. That are located here. Yeah. Randy Wilburn is the host of the podcast, I Am Northwest Arkansas. And in this week's episode, he talks with Aaron Shelton, the director of Finding NWA, and Justin Stewart, the talent ambassador with the Northwest Arkansas Council. You can hear the entire episode and peruse past episodes at IamNorthwestArkansas.com. And you can find the podcast wherever you find other podcasts. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas season ends this weekend. We'll get a preview of that final concert from music director and conductor Paul Haas. Until recently, there hasn't been a whole lot of indigenous music, well, classical music, let's say, written by indigenous composers. There's been plenty of, uh, you know, think back to Dvorak New World Symphony. There there are instances of Eurocentric Mm -hmm. traditions borrowing from this, it's only recently that we've had indigenous writers writing music f- for orchestras and then orchestras composing those. Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, tomorrow at noon and at 7 p.m. And by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. The Artisphere Festival Orchestra returns to Walton Arts Center with two main stage concerts under the baton of Maestro Corrado Rivera's, featuring more than 90 musicians from around the world, presenting works by Brahms and Beethoven May 16th and Respighi's Roman Trilogy on May 20th. Tickets and more at 
artosphere.festival.org. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Morrow. Contributors today included Randy Wilborn and Jacqueline Froelich, as well as Daniel Carruth. That's right. Daniel Carruth provided assistance today from the Karen Taha News Studio. I see that in the yeah. script. No, I stole your line. I'm <laughs> That's sorry. Okay. That's okay. And Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Anne Applegate News Studio. Matthew did not write the script. Too. Um We've got an undisciplined excerpt on tomorrow's show. Yes, yes. We're talking to a doctoral student who is focusing on environmental studies, thinking about food security, how to make um, specifically um, food security more available to folks in urban areas, thinking about how we grow our food and what that looks like. Really interesting conversation. That's on tomorrow's show. A lot more on tomorrow's show. I can't tell you just what it is yet because I haven't put down the outline for it yet, (laughs) but we'll have a lot more. I want to recommend something for folks who have Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, Matthew, but sometimes the streaming services, the algorithm, there's a lot on these services I never know. Yeah. And you don't just blindly, you know, select things Uh if you don't think it's there. Right. Unless your wife's out of town at a conference and you're bored. (laughs) So last night I, I was on Amazon Prime and on a whim I typed in Rollerball. The movie with James Caan uh, is the first movie he did after The Godfather, Mm. um, based on a short story by Bill Harrison, who helped found the creative writing department at the University of Arkansas. Ah. So I watched part of Rollerball last night. It actually holds up pretty well. Okay. The the movie's allegedly based on when an Arkansas Razorback, I think Texas A&M basketball game, briefly had a fight. Mm. This is the legend. Uh, But Bill Harrison did write it. It's a Great short story. And the movie, it was redone a few years ago, but this one with James Conn is pretty good. Rollerball, with a deep Arkansas connection, can be found right now on Amazon Prime. There you go. Well, I guess I know what I'm doing tonight. Do you have Amazon Prime? I do. All right. Okay, it's of its time. Sure. It's 1973. Yeah. But it's a futuristic, ultraviolent sport. Okay. But it really holds together. All right. All right. Now I got plans. There you go. From the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Be well.